Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Like I said, uh, we have the opportunity to hear from Mark Danielson this morning. So, Mark, if you want to come forward. Most of you probably know that Mark is executive director at Children's Home here in Henderson. Um, will you give a little update on what's going on there? Yeah, I might. Yes. Okay, yeah. that would be great. I think that would be great to hear. Um, so, without any more, I'll just pray for you and I appreciate let it. you share. Thanks. So. Father, come before you this morning again. Just want to thank you that we have the opportunity to hear your word, that we get to hear from Mark and what you've laid on his his heart this morning, Lord, and just uh, speak through him and pray that our hearts will be open to what you have to say this morning, Lord. Again, thank you for Mark and his willingness to serve and to share with us now, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Good morning. It is uh, great to be back with you and... um, I said, you know, it's great to be back and be able to open up the Word of God a little bit and, and um, not be confined to just cheering about a ministry or the ministry that's going on. Just a little update, um, Grace is continuing to reach out and, um, and work on um, building homes for children to be in adoptive settings. And um, that's really our passion, our desire is to, you know, our, our, our goal in foster care is to not keep kids alive, which, you know, a lot of agencies are like, as long as we don't kill them until they get to age 18 or 19 and let them go. It's like, no, we want to see effective change in the future. So we're looking and saying, so what are the things that have to happen in the life of a kid to have positive outcomes? And so we back up and say, what are the, what are the things in, in our lives that we need to have to ensure that a child has a best opportunity to thrive in the future? And then we begin to do those things and implementing those things like connection. Um, one of the things about connected parenting that's so critical is kids understanding that, you know, I can have a viable, real relationship with a caregiving adult. I can feel trust. I can feel safety. And because of that, my fear drops. And when perfect love casts out fear, the child is then freed up to move forward and live and relate to their environment, to themselves, to other people, to, and ultimately to God. And so we're continuing to focus on that, and it's been really neat to see um, some of the changes that are going on in the lives of kids, and, um, and um, yeah, just um, we're using some equine therapy as well with kids to build that trust component, that relationship component with kids, and it's neat to see the outcome of that. Um, in fact, if you want to peek in on some equine therapy going on, you can be at the arena this afternoon between 1 and about 3. And I've got two uh, kids coming over today um, that have, have been in the program for a while, one for a couple years and one for just a, about six or seven weeks. And um, just making tremendous, tremendous progress there. So, um, And just grateful to be able to be a part of the community and thank you for your support and encouragement as well. So. All right, this morning I want you to open up your Bibles to John 21. We're not going to stay there a long time. You can find your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in the meantime as well. But we're going to start off in John chapter 21. And, and I just want to say I, I, appreciate, I appreciate the testimony um, this morning. And, you know, 
I mean, just being able to hear someone say, you know what, I, I was raised in a home where Jesus was believed upon and taught. That, that's, the, that's the desire, not the exception in the world of Christianity. And it's amazing. It takes just as much of the grace of God to save a child raised in a Christian home as it does a child raised in a, in a horrible situation. And the grace of God and the power of God um, and the transforming work of God, it's just it's great to hear that. And it's great to hear that even as Paul reminded Timothy, from childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. And um, to hear God's plan and see God's plan unfolded, that's just so refreshing for me. I was encouraged, brother, just to let you know that. Um, especially when I work every day with kids who are living the result or the effect of not being in that environment. And see, when we violate God's design in the family, there are profound consequences, profound and pervasive and ongoing consequences that happen. And so it's just, um, it's just great to, to be able to hear of when that doesn't happen and when there is um, structure and family. So, but in John chapter 21, this is just really a, a week or so after the resurrection of Jesus. And I, and I want you to think for just a second. Put yourself in the, in the mind of the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, who, who followed him for, on the earth for about three and a half years. And during that three and a half years, they, they left their vocations, they left everything that they knew, and they, they started following this radical um, teacher uh, and, and, and miracle worker, and, and their lives became just so disillusioned and, and um, about all the things going on in, in, in the world at the time, and, and, but, but fixated on this one, this one man named Jesus. And, and then in a, in a moment, they, they nail him to a, to a wooden cross, and he's, he's dead, and their hopes and dreams are dashed, and and, and, and the disillusionment continues to grow and, and persevere. And they fall back on some of those promises that were said and given to them about, you know, in this, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. If you have the world, the world will love you as its own. Because you are not of the world, but were chosen out of the world, therefore the world hates you, but it hated me first. You know, I remember as a kid... Um, living back in Virginia and, uh, and, and playing peewee football for the first time. I'd grown up as a little critter watching the Nebraska Huskers whenever we could see them on TV, which is pretty rare, but I remember, remember watching them and, and dreaming about playing football when I was a kid. Every little, ki- every little kid does that, has some sort of dream. They dream about being a hero and going big and, and scoring big and so I put on my uniform and I'd run around and, and, and my friend across the street, we'd, we'd just run into each other and smash each other, you know. We had a, we had a great time. We, and we went to practice and we went around and we practiced with other kids. And I remember the first time I came off the bench and went into the game, man, I was scared to death. Like, those kids seemed like giants. I felt like I was Joshua or Caleb. Like, we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and, and they were huge and, but nevertheless, I found the courage and I went out there. I, mean, I don't remember what position I was playing, but 
But on the very first place, some kid about twice my size smoked me. Man, he left me reeling in pain, on the, laying there on the field and gasping for air. And, you know, and pretty soon I started bawling and crying. And I was like, what a failure. I don't know. I was like six or seven or eight years old. I don't even remember how old I was. But I, I remember distinctly thinking as I got older, how do, we, how do we handle disappointment? How do we handle discouragement and fear? Amidst all the promises and all the hopes and all the things that we think we want to do or places we want to go and who we want to be and how we present ourselves to be and how we train to be and, and all the things that we project and then somehow reality doesn't quite, quite get us there. I can imagine how the Apostle Peter must have felt you know, hearing the promise of Jesus and, 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 and being this follower of Jesus. I, I'm ready to go big time for the Lord in, 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 in test number one. Did, didn't I see you walking with the Lord? <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I don't know him. Oh, I hate when I, when I, you know, when I, when I fail and I, I, I don't do what I want to do or don't do what I should do and I knew better and I, I wanted to go big for Jesus and I struck out. Give me another shot. Well, Peter had another shot. You know. Weren't you one of the followers of Jesus? It wasn't me. I don't know the man. <clears throat> Boy, I want to have courage to be an authentic follower of Jesus. What does it take? And Jesus deny, or Peter denies Jesus the third time and the the rooster crows, and he walks away with this feeling like I've just wasted three and a half years of my life. I had a chance to go big, and I failed. I had a chance to stand up and make a statement for the Lord, the man that I followed and believed in, but I, I didn't do it. I think that all of us could relate in some way at some time in our life where we had that opportunity, we wanted to do something big, whether it was in our marriage, in our home, with our parenting, in the community, in the church, or in, in a career, or wherever it was. We had this opportunity, we wanted to do something big and, and go somewhere, but the discouragement and the, and the fear set in and it paralyzed us and we, and we, we just shirked back. I could honestly say I've done that more than more than once in my life. And in John 21, we come to the point where Jesus is raised from the dead. The disciples have all seen him. And um, in verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias. In this way, he showed himself. This is at least the second, possibly the third sighting of Jesus alive. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas the twin... Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others. Do your math real quick, I already did it, seven. Seven guys. And Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going with you. Can you imagine the conversation that was happening in the house in Capernaum among the seven that were there? What do you suppose they're talking about? Perhaps the questions. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did we give up everything we had and follow this man for three and a half years and now this? We're sitting in a house. He's apparently risen from the dead. I don't know where he's at. Well, I don't know what we're supposed to do. I'm disillusioned. I'm scared. I'm a little bit upset. 
It's interesting to note what they weren't doing. There's no record of them praying. There's no record of them saying, Lord, we, we're just thrilled at your resurrection and we know that you are, you are the God of Abraham, Jacob, and just have, have gone in, back into heaven. There's no, there's no record of discussion about that. We don't really know what they're talking about. But one thing that they did was go right back to the same lifestyle they had before they met Jesus. Isn't it amazing how in a default setting, listen to me, in a default setting when we're faced with stress or trials, we generally revert back to that which we've done before in the past. Do you know why? That's why besetting sins are so hard to overcome. Because of that embedded behavior, you know, and, and that embedded practices that we've done over and over and over and over and over and over and over in our lives. When, when we come to some something else in our life, some moment of stress or trial or whatever, it seems like it's, boom, we always go back. Why do you think that, that things like alcoholism and drugs are so hard to overcome? There's a chemical addiction, but there's also a psychological addiction as well. There's a behavioral addiction that happens when we embed things in our lives and we continue to do those over and over and over and over again at times of stress or trials or whatever. We, we oftentimes revert back to that. And so that's why it's so important to instill other disciplines in our lives as believers when things aren't stressful so that we can continue those habits and practices. Young people, listen to me. Now is the time to do that. Do that now. Remember that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Why do we teach kids the Bible? Because we want to embed truth in them so that during the trials and times in lives we have this grid to say, wait a second, time out. Let me back up and pause and look at this from another way. Let me look at this from a biblical way. Let me see what God says about this. And so Peter and the disciples go back and they get in the boat and they decide to go back and do what, they, what they've always done. They're professionals. Why not? This is what we do. This is the one thing I'm good at. When all else fails, I'm going to go back to what I know I can find success in doing, and that's catching fish. I'm the best there is. And these guys with me were experts. We know we fished the same lake, the same boat, the same nets for years. And we hauled in the catch. We provided for the community. We provided for our family. We're going to go back and do what we do best. Because Jesus didn't provide for us. Because Jesus is distant. And besides, I just denied him three times. I can score big tonight, though. I'll make myself feel better. I'll just have one drink. And that night, they got into the boat. And they fished all night long. And their nets were breaking. No. They were filled. They had incredible success. No. That night, they got in the boat. They fished all night. And they caught nothing. In the Greek, nothing means nothing. <laughs> they didn't catch anything. They're cold. They're tired. They're miserable. They're disillusioned. They feel like failures. They can't even do what they've always done. Where is God when I need him the most? Why does God seem so distant, especially in the times that we have trials? As a pastor for a quarter of a century, I can tell you this. I've had hundreds of people come to me and say, you know what? 
I feel so alone because I'm struggling with this or I'm having this trial in my life and I feel like God is so distant. How many of you have ever felt that way? <laughs> I have. Where is God? Why does God seem so distant when I, when I need him the most? Perhaps God isn't distant when we need him the most. Perhaps we need a set of eyes to see God. Perhaps God is a lot closer during trials than he is when things are going well. Okay, theologically we understand God is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere, present everywhere simultaneously at once. He is here, he's out there, he's in here, he's everywhere at once. God is omnipresent. I don't really understand that because I can only be present in one place at one time, but God is present everywhere. It's incredible to think that, but, but in the times of trials, we have, a, we, have a, we have a theological disconnect. You know, we have a separation from what is true and what is perceived to be true. I understand the truth is God is right as God is right here, but I can't see him, I can't hear him, I can't feel him, I can't sense him. Why is it that the times that when we struggle the most that God is seems to be the most distant? Perhaps Jesus wasn't far away after all. Verse 5, and Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered, No. So they're in the distant on the shoreline, a hundred yards away, was Jesus in the midst of their failure, right there. In the midst of the time that they needed to see God the most, Jesus was there, and that voice from the, from the shore cried out, Oh, but you read they didn't know it was Jesus. Who did they think it was? Children, have you any food? How's the fishing? Do you like to get advice when, when things aren't going real well for you? You should try this to fix that. What? I don't need any advice right now. I'm the expert here. Don't you know? I'm fishing in the same boat with the same nets in the same lake with the same type of fish with the same guys for all these years. I know how to catch fish. I don't need advice from you. <laughs> you can almost sense that tension. In the Greek, this, this, this no is a terse response. No. No. We don't have any. Besides, we don't need your help. At the times we need Jesus the most are the times we usually try to bucket up ourselves, though, isn't it? Yeah, Lord, you sit down for this one here. I got this one. <laughs> really, let's just watch and see how good you are. How much can you accomplish without me? How much could they accomplish without Jesus? They chose to exclude Jesus from the boat. He wasn't in the boat with them. When you exclude Jesus from your life, how much can you accomplish? <laughs> I mean, seriously, don't ask me. Ask the Bible, Okay. Ask. This isn't a story about fishing. You understand that, right? I mean, Jesus loves fish, and God's word has in instances of fishing. I don't know that God really cares to make you to into a great fisherman of fish. Okay, a fisherman of people, yes. 
This isn't a story about fishing. This is a story about me and about you and about trying to do something without Jesus in our lives. This is about us rowing our own boat and doing our own thing, charting our own course and doing it our way. Thank you. And Lord, you can come along if you want. If I need something, I'll holler. (laughs) How's it going? We don't have anything. Our nets are empty. And somehow we think that God's love and care for us is based upon our performance and how we're doing according to our desires and our needs. So how does God how does God show us his presence today? Let's be honest. I, I've been fishing before and I've been in a little boat before. I've never fished with a net. Um, not legally. Um, but I, I've... Is this being recorded? Okay, you can just erase that part. Um, no. Um, you know... I, I, I've never heard a voice in the morning after fishing all night saying, cast your net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. Um, how do we know that Jesus is close? I want you to turn over with me for an application to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're not going to camp out here a long time. I'm going to give you 20 points. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you're getting nervous already. Great. The pizza's going to burn. Um, I, I, want, I want you to see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 the way that Jesus tells us and describes to us that we can deal with trials and we can deal with tribulation and we can deal with problems in this life. Because on the very night in which Jesus was arrested, he went to his disciples and he said, you know what, life's not going to be easy from this point out. I came to faith in Christ at about age 21. I got saved after I got married. And um, then my wife got saved and our kids got saved. And now our grandkids are getting saved. And it's really incredible to think about that. But, but here's the cool thing. Is that um, I have no idea where I was going. Um, that God... Uh, that, that a lot of people have this idea that somehow the Christian life is going to be this easy path, an easy road, where everything is good and comfortable and, and, and simple and without problems. And, and if you find that, let me know. Because not only do I not see that as being reality in the world that we live in, things aren't getting better, they're getting worse. There's a, there's a, 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 a deviation from the Word of God. There's a deviation from the person of Christ. Christianity and Christ is mocked in the world today in many places. And, and take heart, there are wonderful believers all over this world gathered together today praising Jesus and lifting up his name to the glory of God. And, and I, I pray that we get more and more. But the reality is life is hard. The enemy is active. And he is focused on tearing apart your experience to neutralize you in this community, in this world for his cause. He would love to do that. And how does he do that? Through discouragement, through empty nets, through broken relationships, through unhealthy addictions, or through whatever, whatever means it is. Tearing apart families. He's an expert at thwarting it, and Jesus knows that. And life is hard. How do we, how do we survive? How do we thrive? How do we do what it takes not to just get by, but to go on and make an impact and difference in this world? What is the resource that Jesus gives us to know that we are close, his Holy Spirit? 
the Thessalonian church was discouraged. There were people dying, and, and Paul had preached, you know what, Jesus is returning, and there's going to be a resurrection, and they're putting their loved ones in the ground, you know, and putting their bodies in there, and they're like, wait, wait a second, this doesn't equal what I've read. And so Paul writes to the Thessalonians to encourage them, and chapter 4 is all about that, the, the comfort of Christ's coming. And, um, and in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, he says in verse 1, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness. We don't live in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief. You're all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, do not let us sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. In other words, expect to live. Expect to have difficulties. Expect that God is going to use those things. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. What's that look like? And on, a, on, on us is the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we awake or asleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you were also doing. Oh, so now all of a sudden, the responsibility of Jesus shows closeness has been dropped down to you ministering to one another. That's what's going on here. Take heart that you have a family. We talked about that during... Um, just this morning about, about you supporting a new member, a new member becoming part of a body. Why? Because God has a plan for the body to show the closeness of Christ to us in our relationships with one another. That's how we see. We see Jesus working in you, and you, and you. And we feel that. We sense that. We see the hands of God, the powerful, gentle hands of God working in our lives. And Jesus was teaching his disciples that. I'm leaving you, but I, I brought the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit who will be a part of you, who will reach out of your life and touch other people. Man, what, what would happen if the, if the church in America become the church at, uh, of hands that, that touches the lives of other people? What would tra- how could that transform a community? How could that transform Henderson? We wouldn't have to talk about being followers of Jesus. It would be evident in the way we lived our lives. It would be evident in the way we protected people and cared for people. And Paul's narrowing. He's focusing in. Here it is. Verse 12. We urge you, brethren, recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That's your pastor. That's your pastor. Recognize those who labor the word labor is, is really has this idea of to, to work with toil, to become exhausted, um, to become weary working. That's what the word means. Um, recognize those who labor among you. Why do people labor among you? To serve, to show the hands of Jesus, to be the one on the shore crying out, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. Keep going. Don't give up. Roll one more time. Cast the net once more. 
go ahead and do it. And when you want to quit, take another step. And be there to encourage the next person. You know what? I don't have a solution for your problem, but can I encourage you to take one more step? Would you? Would you take one more? Can I help you? Can I hold you while you're taking one more step? Man, sometimes that's just the encouragement someone needs to, to take the next breath. Just give me one more breath. Give me one reason to take another breath. Well, I'll tell you, I'm giving it to you right now. There's another reason to take another breath because the things that you're going through now, God will use through you in the life of somebody else. Guess what, brother? Guess what, sister? I've been there. I've been hurt. I've been traumatized or whatever the case is going on. It's happened to you. I can, I've been discouraged. I've been beat up. I've been scared. I felt defeated. Can you take one more step? Can you put the helmet on and get back in the game? Can you take one more step? And that's what's going on here in 2 Thessalonians 5.12. They, they labor you, uh, or they labor among you. They're over you in the Lord. They admonish you. The word admonish just means to, to speak words of counsel or warning, to put in a person's mind truth. And that's what, that's what leaders do. You that are leaders, you're admonishing other people. You're putting words of truth into the, into the minds of other people. And I want to tell you this, older saints that have lived for a long time, God has blessed you with a period of time on this earth. You know, and, and I, I need your example. I need you to rise up, and I need you to be strong. Why? Because I want to know what it's like to have perseverance. I want to know what it's like to go the distance. I want to know what it's like to run to the finish line with my flag and the banner held high and saying, I'm going to serve Jesus until he comes or until he calls me home. I need that. Our young people need to know what it's like not to quit. They need to know what it's like to persevere, to go on, to keep continuing. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Let's get ready to, to pull the parachute on this. Um, verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Here we go, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those warn those who are unruly comfort the faint hearted uphold the weak be patient with all there's a lot in that little verse but I, I believe I believe Paul is really telling the Thessalonians this is what it looks like to be Jesus in your community this, this, is, by the way, this is what God wants you to do. He says, I exhort you. In other words, Paul says, I, I, I come alongside. This is Paul's word for I come alongside and I speak. I speak directly into your life. I'm not standing on the sideline like a coach, like an out-of-shape coach who's yelling at the players on the field. You guys need to win an argument. You know, they go on and on and on, you know, talking. Like, well, I can tell you're the expert. Not this year, you're not. Okay, this is the guy who goes, you know what, let me get off the sideline, I'm going to go in the game, I'm going to go right to the player, I'm going to speak right into his life. I'm going to put my arm around him, and I'm going to speak, and I'm going to exhort him, and I'm going to encourage him. Question, does that happen enough in the church? Answer, never. It's usually, and, and hopefully it's not, certainly not here, but it's usually one person saying, you know what, hey folks, I got it all together, this is what you need to do, you need to listen to me. Instead of saying, you know what, let me walk through life with you. Let me do life with you. 
let me trip and, 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 and let's, let's, let's hold each other up. And that's really what he's saying here. Um, number one, pursue those who have strayed. Come alongside and, and warn them. The, warn is, the word warn is probably a poor choice in the English language for nuthetao. You may have heard of nuthetics counseling before. That's where it gets the word from, admonish or warn. The, the, the idea of nuthetics is, is nuthetao is really to, to teach or instruct. It's to come alongside someone and say, let's talk about the Lord. Let's talk about your standing and position in Christ. Let's talk about all the things he says about you so that you can find the encouragement you need to take one more step and in the right direction. Let me warn you, the choices you're making are not going to have a good outcome for you. I've, I've gone up to people and I've told them that. Listen, I know you're making choices and you, and you feel good because you have control. But the choices you're making are not going to take you where you want to go. They're not going to have a positive effect in your life. I want you to know that. I love you. Wouldn't, wouldn't you want somebody to tell you if you're walking blindly toward a ravine? And um, like, hey, stop! <laughs> Don't take another step. Look down. Oh, Wait a minute, that next step is a long one. Um, I'd be thankful for that. And that's the idea. It's not from a position of judgment because you're right there with them. You're right there with them. You're speaking into their lives. Number one, pursue those who have strayed. You know, when you enter the life of someone else and get into their life, imagine how that makes them feel. For someone who does not feel value or worth, because of the choices they've made or choices others have made for them or the situation life that they're experiencing, would others take an interest in their life and say, you know what, let me walk with you. Let me enter your life. Imagine how that makes them feel. That's incredible. That's incredibly affirming and powerful. And it's like, okay, so I have, I have intrinsic value because God has created me in the image of God. I'm creating the image of God. And someone has communicated that to me as people to people. We're not, we're not targeting people like, oh, look at them, look at them, look at them, look at them, look at what they're doing. We're, we're going there and getting them and saying, uh-uh, come on back here. Come on back. I want you back. You, you want me? Why? Because you have value. Wow. So now you're communicating the very closeness of Jesus. Number two, it's in the same, it's in the same verse, verse 14. Not only warn those who are unruly or pursuing the, 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 the straying, but, but it says, comfort the faint-hearted. Encourage. It's really encourage the discouraged. That's really what it means. Encourage the discouraged. That's how you, that's how you become the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today. You pursue those who have strayed, and number two, you encourage the discouraged. The, to, to encourage means to console or encourage by speaking a, a narrative to someone. Do you know when someone's going through a difficult situation, oftentimes they can't see out of that situation, right? They become fixated on the, on the trial or whatever it is that's going on. It's just one thing. It's just one thing. They can't see out of that. And so sometimes you need someone to take that person and let's step back and let's see the whole picture. 
Oh, wow, there's, there's cool stuff going on over here and here and, and over here. That's, that's still ugly and bad, but there's a lot of stuff. Sometimes we need perspective. We used to live in the mountains in Montana, and I'll tell you from our front window, we had a, I don't know, six by eight foot window, and it was filled with mountain vista. I mean, snow-capped, crazy mountains. It, the whole window filled. When you look out the window, all you saw was mountains. Like, ha! It was, it was incredibly beautiful. But when you got really close to those mountains, it's craggy and, and, and rocks and, and, and gross little critters that crawl around the ground. And it's like, and sometimes that's the way our life is. Sometimes we just need to step back and say, wow. In the scheme of things, those dark little things in our lives aren't that big. They sure bring a lot of, uh, of shadow and clarity to the big things. Encourage the discourage. Number three, we're almost done. I mean, it's just, this is just his first. What's next? Uphold the weak. This is probably one of my favorite, favorite passages in all of Scripture, okay? Uphold the weak. That's what we do at Grace Children's Home. We uphold the weak. We uphold the weak. What the word uphold means, literally, is to build a scaffold around somebody to prevent them from falling down. Or have you ever been walking with a person and they stumble and they reach out to grab something or you grab them? That's the word right there for upholding. It means to, it means to build a protective barrier around somebody to keep them from falling. Because what happens when we fall? We get discouraged thinking, well, God must have pushed me down. Not, we don't always think that, but we, but we tend to lean that direction. You know, it, it must be the Lord's fault or someone else's fault or whatever. No, God says, listen... Build a protective barrier around people. Protect people. Grab a hold of them. Get close enough to them so if they begin to fall, you'll catch them and grab a hold of them. You hold on to them. You know what? Each one of you that is walking through this life and having um, some measure of, uh, of peace, of shalom, of God's peace, are, are accountable to look around you in the sphere of influence you have. Those that are vulnerable to fall and to become a scaffold in that person's life. Think about the people in your own family, the people who, in our community, the people in your sphere of influence at your work, or people that you associate with, or whatever. You know the ones who are vulnerable. You know the ones I'm talking about. And, and you need to begin to build a scaffold around that, that person or that family to support them, to encourage them, to hold them up, to prop them up so they don't fall over. What a beautiful thing that happens when we become the body of Christ. Imagine what would happen in Peter's life. If, if somebody would come along and say, you know what, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And you know the rest of the story. They cast the net on the side of the boat and he pulled them all in. They pulled them to shore and, and Peter had to clothe himself because he said, it's dead! It's, I know it is! There's only one person that directs me into fruitfulness in this life, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Wow. What would happen? What would happen if we became that source of encouragement to other people? What would happen if, if Jesus would call from the shore and, and then invite him to the shore and say, you worthless disciple? The first time that he'd ever seen him since he denied him. 
because Peter and the rest forsook him and fled, Mark says. And, um, but they go, calls them together on the seashore, and Jesus provides the fish and says, hey, why don't you sit down and have breakfast with me? Let's talk about life. What if we did that as a church? What if we became so non-judgmental of people and, and began just saying, you know, let me, let me invite you into my presence and show you the love of Jesus. Let me show you what unconditional acceptance is. Imagine what would happen in our own community. Imagine what would happen in our own families. What if it wasn't, what if Christianity wasn't a performance? What if we could be real and vulnerable? What if we could, what if we could live like Jesus was close? Imagine that. And Father, the truth is your son is close. And um, he's the savior of the world. And we can just, um, we can just rejoice, Lord, in your closeness to us and become the hands and feet of Jesus to those people in our lives around us. Help us, Lord, to, to holler from the shore to those that are struggling and invite them to see you. Help us to imagine what it would be like as a church to build scaffolds around the hurting the weak, to pursue those who have strayed, to speak truth in their lives. Help us to imagine what that would be like. And then do it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.